Well, as you know, we're working our way through the book of Mark, and today we have a very interesting story. It's the story about the man who was demon-possessed, and uh, Jesus met him, and the demons went into the pigs, and the man was fine. So it is a very, very difficult passage to understand. So I'm going to pray, then we're going to read the passage, and then I'm going to talk about it for quite a while. Lord, as we come now to study your word, Mark chapter 5, we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts and that we would understand these things, Lord. They are difficult to comprehend, and so we pray for wisdom, spiritual discernment, and understanding. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would deliver us from evil. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the highest God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this on the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened and the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. 
Oh, what a fascinating story this is. I'm sure there are questions in, their mi- in your minds. And so this morning we're going to look at the whole question of demon possession, or what should more accurately be termed demonization. The questions that arise for me in this passage is, are there really such things as evil spirits that can inhabit and influence people? Isn't speaking about demonization just a primitive people's way of talking about things they didn't understand? Hasn't our modern worldview done away with the idea of spirits fluttering around and taking control of people? Aren't they just referring to mental illness? These are some questions that people ask. But I believe that evil spirits are real. And that they do exercise an influence over people's lives at times. Why do I believe that evil spirits are real? Well, Jesus clearly believed in evil spirits. A large part of his time was spent setting people free from these spirits. It was one of the things he told his disciples to go and do. He gave specific teaching about evil spirits and what they do and how they operate. The biblical record also provides many different detailed accounts of people being set free from evil spirits. The Bible is clear that there are spiritual beings in this universe, in this world, that that God initially created, part of the, the Elohim, which is a category of spiritual beings. And some of these spiritual beings are, are fallen. And thirdly, the people back in the day did actually understand the difference between mental illness and evil spirits. Here in, a, in Matthew 4 is a little list of, of diseases and problems that Jesus addressed. And we can see in this list that they saw the difference between people that were demon-possessed, those having seizures. By the way, the Greek for seizures is the word moonstruck. And uh, here's, here's the little breakdown of the two Greek words. So that, that first word, demonized, um, they recognized that was a category of illness that Jesus ministered to. But then they also had another word for mental illness. Uh, there's the Greek word there. It begins with an S. Um, and interestingly enough, our word lunatic also has reference to the moon, because back in the day, people believed that you know, the moon made people crazy. Uh, so that was just the etymology of that word. But the point is that the people distinguished between mental illness and demonization. Contemporary experience also shows us that demonization is a real thing, particularly in 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 places in the, in the non-Western world. It's just taken for granted that people really do become taken over by spirits. For those of you in the medical world, interestingly enough, there's even an ICD-10 code. That's a little way to code on a medical statement. It's F44.3. 
and the title is Trance and Possession Disorder. Interestingly enough, no, they, they don't actually acknowledge uh, the reality of evil spirits, but the underlying part, they talk about a particular disorder where the individual acts as if taken over by another personality spirit dear to your force. But we, of course, know the person isn't just acting as though they are, that in some cases they actually have been. It's also important when we talk about the subject to get our terminology right. I hope this is not going to come as too much of a shock to you, particularly those that have been brought up on the King James Bible, but nowhere in the actual Greek language does it ever talk about a person being possessed by an evil spirit. It always uses the, the term demonized. That would be the correct transliteration of that word. That individual is demonized, or it, talks, it uses the phrase a person is having a demon. Why is this important? Because when you talk about demon possession, which was obviously an old English way of talking about people suffering in this way, it kind of gives the impression that Satan is in control, that he actually possesses the people. But that's not the case. Let's get, get more deeply into the story. What are some indications that this man in our story is demonized because it's, it's helpful to us to recognize, well, when a person is demonized to some extent, how do they behave, what it looks like, how can we spot F44.3? Also want to say that, that some of the symptoms we see here may be particularly uh, common with people that have mental illness. And sometimes mental, often mental illness can, can stand completely alone and there's no spiritual component to us. We must acknowledge that some of the most godly people out there can be affected by their physiology with their personalities even changing through what's going on in their, their bodies. So not all negative and even antisocial behavior is caused by spirits but certainly much of it is. I note that when Jesus gets out of the boat, this man comes running towards him. He's belligerent. He's making a loud noise. Perhaps some people are fearful he's going to come and try and attack Jesus. He, he lives among the tombs. That's what we're told in verse 3. Don't picture a typical graveyard. Rather think of an area where there were many caves. In the olden days, people were buried in, in caves. We know Jesus was placed in Joseph, in Joseph Arimathea's tomb, which was a cave. And so this man is living in a graveyard because there were obviously many caves and he was sheltering there. Because graveyards were considered unclean, people would pretty much leave him alone. It's also true, though, that people that are demonized are attracted to the things relating to death. Often people who have a spiritual problem will listen to music with themes of death, destruction, pain, suffering, murder. It's, it's the kind of art they're drawn to. 
places of life and happiness and joy they want nothing to do with. They love the darkness. Perhaps that's why this man is, is living among the tombs. They have a strange affinity for death and all things awful. We also read in this passage that people in his community had often tried to bind him with a chain. This was not therapy. This was because the man was a menace. He was a troublemaker. He hurt people. That's why they were chaining this character up. It was to limit his ability to harm people. He was obviously violent and destructive, and even the best chains they had couldn't, couldn't hold this man back. No one was strong enough to subdue him. He's exhibiting a power that is beyond that of his own. This is the satanic version of Samson. Samson didn't work out in the gym. He had strength because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit on him. This man, we're told, no one was strong enough to subdue him. It's because the spirits within him gave him power. We read too in verse 5, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out. He's socially isolated. He's not sleeping normally. And it's interesting that he is, he's cutting himself with stones. I don't know if you've ever seen rocks that are, are strong enough to, sharp enough to cut you. I've been on a few hikes where I thought if I fall now, I'm going to be slashed into a hundred pieces. I mean, you get rocks out there that are sharper than blades. And this man is, is cutting himself. Are you all aware that there's this contemporary phenomenon of cutting today, particularly with teenage girls? Um, and here's some information about it. But people are, are, are cutting themselves as a way of being able to express pent-up emotion and pain within them. And somehow the physiological response of the body to the cut releases some tension within them and helps them. And people are regularly cutting themselves, and it's a big problem. But here, even in Jesus' day, there, there is a man cutting himself, obviously expressing the deep anguish that he is feeling. It's, it's self-destructive behavior, and often when a person is demonized, they're going to be harming themselves as well as others, because that's what Satan wants to do, steal, kill, destroy, hurt. When the man sees Jesus from a distance, he runs to him. And the man's response to Jesus is, is fascinating. He falls to his knees and he says, I know who you are. It's like the, the slave girl in Acts chapter 16 who also had a supernatural access to knowledge and knew who Paul was. But this demonized man, through the spirits within him, has this knowledge, has this understanding. He knows who Jesus is. And he also believes that Jesus has absolute power over him. 
What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the highest God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. He fears Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. He also knows that he's worthy of God's judgment. And immediately Jesus knows the man's problem is a spiritual one. He doesn't need healing. He doesn't need inner healing. He needs deliverance from an evil spirit. Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And the conversation goes on. What is your name? Jesus asks. My name is Legion, for we are many. This man has more than one spirit in him. A Roman legion consisted of 5,000 men. I'm not saying there are 5,000 spirits in this guy, but he's saying the powers of darkness, we are many. I want to move into an important part of the sermon now and just talk about the nature of demonic influence in people's lives because this is something there's a lot of misunderstanding about. And I really want to just break it down for us. When it comes to evil spirits having influence over people, it can range from mild all the way through to, to severe. And the passage we've read today is about a very severe case of demonic influence. But there are degrees of demonic influence. Think of when Jesus was being tempted in the desert and he was weak and hungry and cold and Satan himself came to him and said, if you're the son of God, turn these stones to bread. That was Jesus coming under demonic influence. He didn't succumb to it, but the influence was brought to bear in his life. When Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. He's basically saying, the powers of darkness out there are coming for you, Peter. They're going to bring power and influence to bear on your life. But I'm praying for you that you will stand. So the first... The, the first way in which we experience demonic influence at its most mildest form is simply living in a fallen world. Just living in a fallen world, we are exposed to the powers of the dark side. Satan is the prince of this world. He has a kingdom. Paul tells us that Before we were, were saved, there was the power of the spirit of the air at now at work within everybody. James tells us that we must keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. There is a negative, ungodly influence being brought to bear on all of us. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, we, we don't wrestle against physical people, but constantly we wrestle against spirits and powers and principalities. There, there is this battle that we're all in all of the time. 
And Satan and his demons do bring about influence upon us. This is why we have to have on the, the full armor of God. So whether you like it or not, you are in a battle with the powers of darkness. The second way I believe that demons can bring an influence upon us, and this is in increasing measure, is, is through what the Bible calls strongholds in our minds. This is, this is beliefs people have, thoughts we have. That's the, great, the Greek breakdown of stronghold. And here's the passage where it comes from, where, where Paul says, and I'll pick it up. No, let me pick it up from verse 3. For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. We have weapons for our, the spiritual warfare we're in. And our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. What is a stronghold? We demolish arguments and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. One of the ways in which Satan brings influence to bear on people is to get us to believe ideas, philosophies, and thoughts that are in conflict with the truth and with what God is saying and doing. I think of white nationalism, for example. Is a, it's a belief system that Satan has used to bring massive amount of destruction. There are ideas that people have, often with an ism at the end, these can be strongholds. They're not aligned with the truth of God. And when we embrace them and believe them and accept them, we become tools of the enemy in this world. Paul also tells Timothy, we must be careful because there are deceiving spirits out there and things taught by demons. There are ideas, doctrines, philosophies that are satanically inspired. And when we embrace those wrong, those wrong ideas, Satan has an influence over us and through us, which is why part of the, the armor of God is the belt of truth. So we're influenced by the dark powers simply by living in a fallen world. Satan can exert influence on people, over people, through planting false ideas in their heads. Sometimes Satan brings an influence to bear in our lives in the, in, in the form of temptation. Not all temptations are the same. Sometimes we just get tempted because we have a sinful nature. We don't any need any outside help. Well, certainly I don't. But there are temptations that are more demonic in their nature. We read in Luke 23 about how Satan entered Judas. There's something going on here that is at a different degree of Judas thinking, hey, it would be a nice idea to get 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. There's, there's, there's a demonic plan at work here, a scheme that is getting outworked in, in Judas' life. 
when Ananias lies about his offering, Paul Peter says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart? Sometimes we, we face very strong temptations. There can be a spiritual power behind these things. We, 1 Peter 5 tells us that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And that person can be you and me. Ephesians 6 talks about put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, I don't think that's just talking about a future day for all of us, but there's those, those days, those moments when Satan really attacks us. Those fiery arrows get shot at us. Here's the fourth degree of demonic influence that I believe the Bible talks about, and that is a foothold, a foothold. And this reference is found in Ephesians 4 where Paul writes, don't, don't let your anger get the better of you. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. The Greek word is topos, where we get topography from. It means a place, a, a beachhead, somewhere where it's a little part of the bigger hole where the devil can get a foothold. He, he, he owns a piece of the action, and from there he can spread his influence into a person's life. What is a foothold? Well, it's, it's a little something that enables you to take the next step. And then finally, in our move towards understanding severe demonization, I believe there's what we can call demonic oppression. And both these next two categories can involve single spirits or multiple evil spirits. What is demonic oppression? This is when one or more evil spirits start to target a person's life. They're hanging around. They want to be in you. They want to, they want to control you. They're they're targeting you. And I believe a genuine Christian can't be possessed by a demon because obviously God owns us. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But certainly a Christian can be targeted by demons, oppressed by demons. Jesus gives a whole lot of teaching in Matthew 12, about how demons operate, and you can read that for yourself. And then finally, we have what we've read about today, full-blown demonic possession. What I hope you've seen today is that demonic influence is not a binary thing. It's not you are or you aren't possessed. The question is rather, to what extent is this individual before me, or me myself, 
to what extent am I being influenced by the powers of darkness? And this is obviously the worst case. Here's a person possessed, well, multiple demons in the person. This is way more than a foothold. This is way more than foggy, wrong thinking about issues. This has gone beyond severe temptation. They've entered the person. They've dug in. They've taken root. And the devil can manipulate this individual, speak through them. But the story has a good ending. The pigs, I mean, <laughs> the demons. It's a Freudian slip. Although, pity the pigs, no. The, the spirits beg Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. This has always fascinated me. Why is it so important for spirits to stay in their area? And some would say, and I mentioned this at the deeper talk on spiritual beings, that when God separated the people, group, the people into groups, there were certain spiritual powers, angels that went with those people. And so some Christians believe that certain spirits belong in certain territorial areas. And we could go into that, but it's not relevant for now. But the demons don't want to leave this area. A large herd of pigs, verse 11, was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. One wonders, why can't the demons just go out of the man? Is it because spirits want to embody something else when they're on the earth? It really is a strange story. Because these 2,000 pigs belong to somebody. It was the person's livelihood. And yet these pigs, when this impartation, this transitioning of the spirits out of the man into the pigs, they charge down the hill into Lake Galilee and are drowned. Did Jesus allow this for the psychological benefit of the man he was setting free so that the man could see that the spirits had indeed left him and had gone into the pigs? And we see the wonderful change that takes place in the man's life. He's sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. Isn't this amazing? The power of Jesus. Here is a man so deeply under demonic influence, set free in an instant. And now the people are afraid, afraid of Jesus and afraid because they don't understand what's going on. And they want Jesus to leave their, their area. Verse 17, they say, then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their, their region. I want to end by just pointing out something interesting in verse 8. 
Then the man begs Jesus to be allowed to go into full-time ministry. Verse 8. Jesus was getting into the boat. The man who had been demonized, which is the correct translation, begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but say, said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Didn't Jesus want to have another disciple? I mean, this guy had a good testimony, hey? He could put him up in the crowds before the Sermon on the Mount. Hey, there's a good testimony. You see, when Satan has had a hold on a person for so long, there's actually a lot of their life that gets harmed and damaged and needs healing. And though this man was set free from the spirits, there was probably healing in relationships with people that needed to happen. Healing in his community and how they perceived of the man. Renewing of his mind needed to happen. He needed to establish new habits, find a new place to live. And I think that's why Jesus says, I don't want you to come with me. Go home. Connect with your family. Make right with your community. There's always a lot of additional healing that people need to experience when they've been under the power of Satan. So there's our little chart. Demons are real. They were spiritual beings that God created to help with the administration of this world. Some of them have fallen. And now to spite God, they try to cause trouble with humanity. And they can, we're in a battle against spiritual powers and principalities. And their influence over us at times ranges from mild to severe. Just living in an ungodly world, we, we are influenced. We can be influenced through strongholds in our minds, ideas, philosophies, beliefs that we live by that are contrary to God's will. Sometimes temptations come our way. Satan can get a foothold in our lives through any kind of sin that just goes on and on and on in us. Eventually Satan says, thank you, I think I'll take ownership of this now. And there's demonic oppression and full-blown control for people that are far gone. So as we close today, let me just say, maybe you've been a little disturbed by some things I've said today. Well, I want to encourage you to speak to Pastor John, to any one of the elders, to myself. Uh, also, we are in the process of starting a deliverance ministry where people from our church can get better equipped to be able to help people who are struggling with, with the dark side. 
Um, and so if you want to be equipped and you want to be part of our deliverance ministry, please speak to us. Speak to John. But let's pray. Lord, as people that take you seriously and take your word seriously, we can't get away from what you taught, Lord, about evil spirits and how they seek to harm us, destroy us, get us to destroy ourselves. And we pray, Lord, that you would help all of us to have on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes and when Satan fires his fiery darts at us, we can stand being grounded in the gospel, having a sure footing in the work of Christ on the cross, having on the breastplate of righteousness, living a righteous life that gives Satan no access. Help us to have on the belt of truth the helmet of salvation, the sense of identity of whose we are, who we belong to, whose, whose dominion we, we are under. And help us to wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we pray, Lord, that you would make us strong in your mighty power. And we pray, Lord, that if there are people in our church and even in this congregation this morning that do need to experience freedom from any kind of demonic influence, that you would bring it to their attention, that you would help them to see what the problem is and to find healing. Deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's leave it right there and go and enjoy some fellowship. Thank you.